John Kelvin said, since no man is excluded from calling upon God, the gate of salvation is open to all. There is nothing else to hinder us from entering but our own unbelief. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, my lovely wife, Nikki. Hi. And if you're new here, um, you know, every week we do our best to help Christians walk a life that's pleasing to God in this secular and religionless world. Um, and that's what we're going to be trying to do this week as well. So today we're going to be on part two of our 15 part, uh, what it's looking to be, look at salvation. So again, we're doing that sort of the first five are going to be on the road to salvation. And then the last 10 will be on assurance of our salvation. Um, so that'll be in our Bible topic at the end of the episode. And before that, we're going to take a look at the news of the week, as we always do. And before we get to everything, is there anything you would like to say? Um, well, I know we asked for prayer for us both to go to the Puritans conference, but we decided it would be best that I stay back with the kids, still be starting a new homeschool curriculum beginning of that week anyways. So I think, I think it's fine. We'll have other opportunities to do things together. Maybe it's good you go off by yourself and soak it all in and I don't know. Just a little vacation by yourself. <laughs> yeah, so um that's a praise re praise report and a prayer request as well, I guess. I mean Nikki is staying back, but it looks oh, yeah. like everything's <laughs> Yeah, pray for her. She'll be alone. But um it looks like everything's cleared for me to be able to head out there for the week out to Los Angeles. Um never been to the campus of my seminary. That's Grace Community Church. Uh, is where the master seminary is. So I'll be going out there, just meeting people, hopefully hearing some good discussions on the Puritans. And I'm looking forward to that. And um, part of the reason why that's getting cleared up, and I guess maybe why I ask that you can continue to pray that that does stay clear is um, my big praise report here. So I've been asking you guys for months now to pray about uh, my status in the military. So I'm one of the um, unvaccinated members in the military. And for really the last nine months, you know, I've completed my training. That's the whole reason I moved to Florida was to start training. I completed the training and then they put a stop to it and said, you know, if you're unvaccinated, you weren't allowed to progress in training. You weren't allowed to PCS. You couldn't move. You just kind of had to stop until they figured everything out. And that was nine months ago. Um, it's hard to believe. But for nine months, you know, I've just been wandering around doing odd jobs, you know, basically biding my time. And as of this week, you know, I got the word that they're starting to allow us to PCS again, which means I can pick up the training where I left off and hopefully continue on and God willing, make it to the end of my uh, enlistment there and retire as was the plan. So Thank you for your prayers if you prayed for us, and please continue to pray that this um, just continues to work in our favor. You know, I'm just one of thousands that have been dealing with this issue, and I pray that it would work out well for all of them. So that was good news this week. All right, um, let's make sure we get our plugs out of the way here. Oh, and one more 
praise report, I guess, and prayer request. So um, these are just going in tandem this week. So our podcast, you know, it's been, you know, kind of growing, stalling, growing, stalling. I think we've kind of been on a growth path a little bit, which has been a blessing. So if you're listening, thank you for listening. Um, But if you're aware, we had a ad a few months ago, maybe, or ended a month ago from Dwell, um, the awesome Bible app. And they've renewed um, our ad placement with them for another month. So praise God for that. Mm -hmm. So probably won't hear it on this episode, but an episode's coming up here very soon. We'll have another um, Dwell ad. And that's just a blessing, you know, that anybody would see fit to have us, um, you know, promote their product. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we did it once and they didn't go running off. So thank you for that. Um, It's just been a blessing. So even before we get the uh, the ad rolling, go download Dwell. It's a great Bible app. Um, All right. Our other plugs here. You guys know we want you to go and reach out to Team Cardinal at Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Um, as we get into more of these stories and you just start seeing the secularization of the entire country, but as it starts pouring more and more into our Christian sphere and they start turning their focus more towards us, us in the Christian world need to be prepared for how to handle that appropriately, because it's not always great to just tell someone to shut up and get lost. It's not always the best answer. So Cardinal can give you um, the tools and uh, the techniques that you need to kind of get your point across without getting getting yourself in trouble and not just you, but all of those working for you. So whether you're a church, a business, um, a charity, anything, um, especially if you're in the realm of faith, I think this is important and it's going to become more important as time goes on. So uh, don't fall behind here. Reach out to Cardinal. They are the best in the world at what they do. And then also, we are, of course, proud members of the Christian Podcast Community. And the beautiful thing about Christian Podcast Community is you can jump on whatever your podcasting platform of choice is, whether that be Apple, Spotify, whatever it happens to be. And you can just subscribe to the Christian Podcast Community and get access to over I think it's 55 to 60 um, good podcasts from good godly men and women on a whole host of topics. Um, We're there as well. Very honored to be. So go check out the Christian podcast community. Leave them a like, subscribe. I think you can find most of their shows probably on YouTube as well. They're all over the place. All right. Enough of the fun stuff, though. Time to get serious, folks. You know what that means. Time for us to prepare ourselves, gird up our loins, and steal up our soul, put on the full armor of God as we uh, get ready to take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death. Take a look at the news of the week. Someday I'll get to oh, say all that. Someday. No, he likes someday. it, this thing. <laughs> it's the only bit of joy I have right before we dive into the, what is it, the... Uh, what do they call it in the Pilgrim's Progress? Like the slaw of despair? I don't remember. Yeah, well, that's what the news is. It's whatever <laughs> the pit of despair, the... Yeah. Whatever it's called. and It's awful, basically. So it's my only bit of joy right before we get into the awful. And we're going to start real awful. with some awful. 
So you want to read this headline, honey? Statue honoring controversial sex researcher Alfred Kinsey draws criticism. Yep. So here we go. Just recently, we've seen statues of Thomas Jefferson getting torn down. And now we got statues of uh, <sighs> perverted sex researchers going up. Only in America, folks. So you want to just read that paragraph? Dr. Kinsey left us with the extraordinary legacy of his endless scientific curiosity, his unwavering commitments to academic freedom, and his passion for understanding humanity's sexual diversity, said Justin Garcia, executive director of the Kinsey Institute. This spectacular sculpture honors Kinsey's international scholarly and public impact, reminding us of the importance of the ongoing research, education, and historical preservation occurring daily at today's vibrant Kinsey Institute. Yeah, so the Kinsey Institute apparently is at, the, uh, is at Indiana University. That's where this statue is going up at. So wait a minute, all the, like, the horrible things that you're going to mention that he did is ongoing? Is that what? Well, yes. They're still doing those weird They're all tests. building off of the research that Kinsey started um, long ago. So <sighs> if you guys uh, watched Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? That name Alfred Kinsey might, um, might stand out to you. And he was sort of highlighted in that documentary, uh, you know, as they mentioned here in this article, his great ongoing contributions. Well, in that documentary, they point out they're not quite so great. They're more disgusting experiments where they experimented on basically the orgasms of children and babies. Um, he was a pedophile, a pervert, and he should be shamed. But instead, in America in 2022, we're going to honor the man. Because why wouldn't we honor a pedophile in America in 2022? Um, so do you want to just read this next? Maybe. Or I can read it. <laughs> so it goes on in here. Nikki doesn't want to read it because it's too gross. Um, yeah, like, I don't. She said, uh, or the article says, several of Kinsey's published works uh, have been the subject of con uh, controversy decades after their release. Two books on human sexual behavior, sexual behavior in the human male, and sexual behavior in the human female contain data on pre-adolescent orgasms from children as young as two months old. And it says, examples of multiple orgasms in pre-adolescent males, including the notation, duration of stimulation before climax, observations timed with a second hand or stopwatch. Ages range from five months to adolescence. So this is the man Indiana University has chosen to honor um, for all future generations with a statue on their campus. Not only did they name their whatever like a sex research institute is after a pervert and a pedophile, they decided that's not good enough. Instead, we need to throw a statue up there as well. Uh, maybe it's a statue holding the stopwatch as he watched a tiny two-month-old baby. Well, if someone's offended, they could just tear it down. Like, 
Oh, Other they would statues never. <laughs> got torn down. What's the difference? Nobody's bold enough to tear that statue down because they love it. And yeah, but it would get some headlines so people could actually speak out and say why they tore it down to make it more well, aware. Yes. But the reason why it won't be torn down is exactly the reason why we're talking about all the stories that we've been talking about. Because Christians have no backbone in America. We would much rather sit in our room, wringing our hands, going, oh, Alfred Kinsey's being taught to my kid in public school, than actually do anything about it, right? We'll just get in our prayer closet and then send our kids off to public school, take out school loans so they can go to Indiana University, and then wonder why they're transgendered at 21. Who knows, right? Um, but yeah, so this is the man that Indiana University has chosen to honor with a statue. And, you know, they talk about his, you know, advancements in science. Like, what advancement in science? Science you know? is very corrupt. I mean, science, I know, is good, but their version of science, just everywhere today in the medical and pretty much every medical area, corruption for the name of science. So it's okay. Well, right. There's... Because it's science. So it's, it's not wrong. We can do whatever in the name of science and it's applauded. Yeah, and they may, you know, dismiss it in the moment. And I but, you know, nobody's going to dismiss it now because well, it produced whatever great works. You know, now we don't have gender dysphoria. Now you just have your gender identity. Thanks, Alfred Kinsey. Like you've just ruined a whole generation of kids. Maybe that's what it was built on. But like if this was a more righteous nation, more righteous time in our nation, Kinsey would have been you know, drug out and stoned to death in the street rather than lifted high as some great intellectual, some great academic that we should all be lauding. He's a pervert. He's a pedophile. How do you know? How are you timing a two-month-old orgasm unless you're standing there looking at a naked two-month-old while you're stimulating him sexually? Well, any pervert... That's a pedophile. Any pervert could go and molest a kid and say... I was doing a science experiment. Well, and oddly enough, <laughs> that's actually what they say. So there's a lot of controversy no about Kinsey Ugh. and his research because a lot of people will call the man a hack. Um, and his, you know, his research isn't all that it's cracked up to be. But one of the big arguments about this, because people that support Kinsey will say, well, he wasn't a pervert and a pedophile because a lot of the research that he has here actually came from... Um, basically a notorious sex offender who was molesting hundreds and hundreds of children who took meticulous notes. So how Kinsey, and this is just one aspect of it, got the information on the times and the durations was the notes that some sex offender from his molesting and raping of young children. So even at that level, that ain't even science. That's like secondhand perverted information from a completely discredited source so what does that even mean well he just went and took some you know pedophile sex offenders notebook and made science out of it i don't buy that anyways the man's probably a pervert um that's going to be the stance i take so um but it goes on in the article here um down at the end they say despite all the controversies surrounding kinsey Dr. Kenneth Zucker, who's an American-Canadian psychologist and sexologist, which is something, I guess, 
believes his body of research as a whole is worthy of tributary statue. Kinsey conducted groundbreaking research in the field of sexual science. Which, what is sexual science? I was going to say. Who yeah. knows? It's just a made-up term, and this guy has a made-up title as a Did it help anybody, like, in an unselfish way? <laughs> I don't know what... way? Who did, did it help? you guys know what sexology is or what it does or what sexual science is and what it contributes? Please let us know in the comments, because I have no idea what that would even... Yeah, I didn't think to look that up. I'm not going to talk about... Uh, Dr. Zucker, but it's actually a shame that he's supporting this man. I looked him up briefly and he seems to be somebody that sort of stood against transgenderism and actually tried to do a work of pseudo conversion therapy and basically got his practice taken from him in Canada. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to support a pervert and a pedophile. So there you go. If you want your child to go to the country's foremost pervert, pedophile embracing sex researching university the indiana indiana university is the university for you so isn't that wonderful um now i'm a michigan fan of course so shame on those worthless hoosiers how dare they did you know that the school's mascot was a hoosier what's a hoosier maybe they can turn it into the kinsey the indiana kinseys just have, I don't know, a pervert with his pants down around his ankles, chasing okay. somebody around. So anyways, <laughs> no, uh, you're pretty angry. <laughs> it gets me pretty upset. Oh, man, how these people are in positions of authority in our country blows the mind. But uh, next up, we're going to kind of get back in the vein of D.I.E. in that uh, the infiltration of our seminaries and our universities and if you've missed out on what we've been talking about and discussing over the last, you know, couple weeks and months, um, even in last week's episode, you know, we were talking about this. Um, but DIE, you know, the diversity, inclusion and equity, that mob is turning their attentions and it seems pretty seriously onto religious institutions. That's uh, mm -hmm. kind of their big aim here. And you know, we highlighted in two episodes a, a conference, you know, on YouTube, we found the clip on uh, Twitter, where they basically make this point that, hey, it's time for us to get more diversity into Christian seminaries. This is our next, basically, battleground. This is where we have to take, uh, which would make sense, right? Because this is what they did in universities to basically turn all the young kids socialist and communist. They got communists and socialists into the universities. That trickled down into the high schools, the elementary schools. So now our kids are just baked in that capitalism's evil, communism's somehow great and moral. And now here we go. They're going, yeah, well, we're going to do the same thing with uh, diversity, inclusion, equity in the religious sphere. So that's great. Um, but, you know, we looked at a big story that I think happened in this vein from BYU last week, you know, when we talked about Rachel Richardson and that fake made up, um, you know, racist hoax that they try to perpetrate on BYU. So we started paying attention to this diversity, inclusion and equity thing um, in regards to the church, like I said, a few months ago, and we did an episode called Racializing Jesus, um, where 
And I think you can see a strong sense of them trying to make Christianity a white man's religion mm-hmm. and drive that wedge in between, you know, this is where the term white Christian nationalist and um, these sorts of topics where it's trying to make this Christian faith that we've known for since this country was founded, it was founded on Christian principles. They're trying to make that, you know, if you believe in that Christian faith, well, then you're a white supremacist, you're a nationalist, you're a Trump supporter, and just drive that wedge between black minority people. So we see that. Um, Mm -hmm. And since that time, you know, what's interesting, I actually had to look the term up because it seems like as soon as we did that episode, we've just been seeing diversity, inclusion, and equity everywhere attacking the Mm -hmm. church. You know, we did an episode on Hillsong being attacked by that. I can imagine very soon we'll see the Southern Baptist Convention coming out with their diversity you know, protocols. Sooner than we think. Everything is rolling out really fast. So this is actually called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's uh, when you've just found out about a thing and then you see it everywhere. And I feel like that's what it is with diversity, inclusion, and equity in the church Mm -hmm. for us. Like every website I go to, I'm like, oh, that's what they're doing here. That's what they're doing here. And we have two stories for you coming up right now where we see this exact thing. So it's everywhere, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's where you find out about something and then you see it everywhere. Yeah. But it's always been there or it's just because it's new or then it, you notice it. I'm assuming it's because you're now cued into it. So now you're looking for you're, it. So you see it everywhere. It's like the first time someone tells you about the, uh, what's that? The Mandela effect. And they're like, no, it was the Berenstein Bears, not the Berenstein. You're like, oh my goodness, it's everywhere, right? Because um, now you're cued into it. So, uh, yeah, I was. What came to my mind was what we talked about last week. No, a week before about churches. Their main thing being comfort. Oh yeah, that's a big one. You go look up churches' websites. Their welcome page. Yeah, it's like <laughs> churches. Like their first thing is comfort, or the sermons being about you overcoming. Like once you're like, they just keep telling me to overcome battles. Like who's fighting this many battles? Like every day is just some war that's raging in your and life. It's never sin. Yeah. It's never about sin, which is what it actually is supposed to be about. Yeah. So the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is everywhere. But huh. the first story that we have here, um, do you want to read this headline, honey? Uh SCOTUS allows Yeshiva University to bar LGBTQ club for now. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, just read this paragraph here. The dispute began last year, according to SCOTUS blog, when a group of students and former students filed a lawsuit alleging that Yeshiva's refusal to recognize an LGBTQ advocacy and support club violated New York City's human rights law. And the law prohibits places that are open to the public, known as public accommodations, from discriminating based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Yep. So that was kind of what happened. Um, You know, there was a couple different stories written on it. The Blaze Christian Post kind of wrote the same thing. Um, But then this week, Justice Sotomayor, who um, she issued the original stay um, for 
Yeshiva University. Um, that when she issued the stay, it basically permitted um, Yeshiva University to refuse to recognize LGBT student club that the Orthodox Jewish school said violates its religious value. Um, and that was just a temporary stay for a few days. So um, then this week, uh, the Supreme Court basically has temporarily forced Yeshiva University. Um, see if I can find it down here. Yeah. Forced the, the Yeshiva University, the famed Orthodox Jewish University in New York, to accept an LGBTQ club against its wishes. Um, and it says the university had asked for a stay of a Manhattan judge's order. Um, why you grant recognition to the Yeshiva University Pride Alliance on Friday? Justice Sotomayor granted the emergency petition, but on Wednesday, the court voted five to four to reject the stay and send the case back to the New York courts where Yeshiva has lost before. Hmm. And then this fella, uh, the spokesman, I guess, for the Beckett Fund, who is representing Yeshiva, said, um, the stakes couldn't be higher, not just for Yeshiva, but for the country. That's why people of many different faiths filled or filed briefs asking the court to protect yeshiva. If yeshiva can't even make religious decisions on its own campus, then no religious group is safe from government control. Mm -hmm. So that was coming out of New York um, over the last two weeks. And, you know, we're obviously going to have to see how this plays out going forward, but it looks like yeshiva's in a pretty tough spot, you know, and while LGBTQ clubs on campus isn't really uncommon, you know, I would guess, I think this being a religious institution specifically would make this story stand out. I mean, obviously it is standing out. Why can't that be like something the students sign ahead of time because it's a religious institution coming here, you, you agree, like they know ahead of time, they know where they're going. Why can't oh, it be something simple like that? I would bet they do. But I they mean, I know like get... for us, when I go to seminary, I have to sign documents saying that I agree with their doctrinal statement. Yeah, but so, how do they form these clubs then? If because they... it doesn't matter to them, right? The goal is to undermine the religion, I would assume. But so those documents mean nothing, the papers they sign they're for nothing. Well, and again, this is because New York has these anti-discrimination laws. So I would imagine they're saying you can't make them sign something that supersedes our discrimination laws. I don't know. That's what the courts are going to have to figure out, I would guess. Um, although the courts have already ruled against Yeshiva once. So we'll see what this happens. Uh, but I hope they just they don't give up. Fighting. Yeah, I mean, the question, though, I think is good. Like, why? You know? Like, why an LGBTQ club? And why now, right? Why would this be something they're actively seeking now? Um, and why do they want to go to this university? They know what they're doing is wrong. They know they I lied if they signed paper, like, uh, saying they agree. I think it's smelling blood in the water, you know? Like I said, we've been seeing this everywhere, talking about it. Um, I think it's foolish to just see these as coincidences. Be like, wow, this DIE sort of stuff is really popping up everywhere. Well, what about churches? I don't know if the government could get their hand in that. Like, you 
like the church we used to go to, Mana, how they told your friend he could not become a member because he was living with his girlfriend. And he agreed with that. But what about unbelievers that just want to be members of your church because they just want to because you can't discriminate? I know I don't I don't agree, but I'll sign this saying I do agree, but I really don't. And we always look at people's actions and, you know, we confirm like people, you know, with the fruit, if they really are converted or if they're really just wolves coming in. Is this something you think they might try to just let people infiltrate churches and become members and then well, they get to have leadership I'm positions about it so much? And obviously we don't have a platform big enough, but if anybody happens to hear and is in a church, is in a seminary, knows somebody, you know, I think our biggest problem is we've been slacking on this. We don't have stuff like this passed into law, written into documentation. It's kind of like, hey, just say that you agree with our doctrinal statement and you're in. Like, we need to start building bulwark defenses against this. Mm -hmm. You need to realize that if this hasn't come to your church yet, it is going to be there soon. It's going to be at your seminary very soon. So how are you going to handle it? And how are you going to handle it legally? Because right. the left, these activist group, they know how to take things to court. They know how to win in the court. Um, and look, like Yeshiva University is in New York, right? So you establish a religious school basically on the front porch to hell. And, you know, what do you expect, right? Like, what are the odds these judges are going to be like, well, you know, religion is, folks really got a good argument right, here. For being like, they know what goes on in New York. They, it seems like they would have been prepared a little better for the future. Well, like they should have known. You would think that, but also here, and this is a very important point because you get what you vote for. Um, mm -hmm. And Jews in America, the Jewish population is, you know, as far as I pull up, and I'll show the stat here, um, you know, 77% of Jewish folks voted for Joe Biden in wow. the most anti-God, satanic platform in my lifetime. So 77% of Jews, and there's a large, large Jewish population in New York. That's maybe the most secular satanic state in the union. So, you know, it's hard to really feel sorry for you when you vote this way year after year, election after election. Then you go, oh, but now they're paying attention to us. Well, what did you expect? Do you think Satan was just going to leave you alone because you helped him out? Ah, that Jewish school over there, they're a bunch of good folks. Like, what did you expect when you've made your bed? You know, you've been dancing with the devil this long and you think you're not going to get burned by it. Like, it makes no sense Yeah, that this is the path you would walk. And anytime a religious group signs off, you know, Catholics voted in a majority for President Biden and the left. And you're like, what are you even thinking? Like, again, the Republican Party stinks, the Democrat Party's satanic. So, you know, you're kind of left between a rock and a hard place. But, man, you start voting for people that hate your lifestyle. They hate your faith. Right. They hate it, everything you stand for. That should be number for. one to you. So it wouldn't even surprise me if these students specifically got together and said, why don't we all just go to this Jewish university? Maybe they are Jews. I don't know. The ones that are there that are gay and lesbian or transgender, Just whatever. Like gay Christians, Jews, yeah. all the same. <laughs> no, I mean. I think it's purposeful. Well, I and do. the danger I think it is too, like, so Satan. you get these students in, they start this club up, they're going to win in court. So you can't even close the court or the 
club down. How long are you before they're like, hey, we don't actually have any representation here in the administration. There's nobody that we can talk to. So now you're going to be a Jewish school that's going to have to hire gay teachers, gay counselors, transgender people. Yeah. Like, if you think they're just going to get their little club and be like, thanks, guys, it never stops there. <laughs> it never stops with just, well, you know, we gave them a club and they're happy. So let's just get back to the Torah. That doesn't happen. They're going to take everything from you. Like, yeah. And this is also going to be a huge danger for just the nation at large, right? When, if they pass the Respect for Marriage Act, um, you know, the government control through discrimination of our churches and our seminaries is going to, once they legalize and write gay marriage into our laws, this discrimination angle is going to be allowed to take place in every seminary around every state. Yeah. There's So... You know, all these formerly, like yeshiva, like we talked about, um, you know, once they get this DIE sort of sunk in, they're just going to follow the secular path where pretty soon, you know, it might be years down the road, but they're going to be Yale, Harvard. Those were all Christian universities at one point. Now they're secular, you know, supposed, you know, intellectual, but it's all anti-God. I mean, for crying out loud, I think it's Harvard's dean of theology is an atheist. <laughs> like, it's crazy. So I'm just thinking how this is so opposite of Christians who believe in like dominion theology, that Christians are going to like take dominion over what I was reading upon it, the seven mountain mandates. Like, no, quite the opposite is actually happening. Like we're being infiltrated. Like we are not taking over the spheres of influence you know, like the schools and the media and whatnot, all the seven main um, mountains that they talk about in that theology. And I don't see how that could be true when we can't even protect our own institutions. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, I don't know how you think you're going to take anything over when you're completely scared of everything. Like you won't take a stand for anything. And somehow you're going to run down Satan and his minions and his hordes when they're completely emboldened to do whatever they want, you know, because, you know, if you had a spine, I don't know, you'd just be like, yeah, we're going to close this school before we allow an LGBTQ club to sully our religion. All, But they won't. They'll just give the school over to the spirit of the age, just like Harvard and Yale. And, you know... Like I said, in a few years, it'll just be, you know, Union Theological Seminary with a Jewish bent to it. So, and again, mm -hmm. Respect for Marriage Act is going to be coming for the entire country. Um, so New York's discrimination laws will be spread everywhere. And I think, you know, pointing this out, that's why it's so important in the little bit of time we have left, you know, to reach out to your senators who are going to be voting on this. Mm -hmm. And make sure they know that you expect them to stand for biblical marriage. Um, yeah. Because otherwise, they're going to sell this country out. Yeah, you know. We got to vote like to protect our churches. And not that this is somehow a political solution here. But at this point, that's sort of the next hurdle that we can kind of put in the spirit of the ages way. You know, because if you just let that go, it just gets harder, well, yeah, right? Yeah, that's how they 
that's how they war. That's how they do battle. But I mean, it's practical. Yeah, you pray, but you can't just pray and not go and vote or do anything or, you know. No, and I mean, how long did we hear from godly men and women, Christian men and women, tell us that, you know, Trump was this big bad guy and he wasn't righteous enough for their vote? Okay, well, maybe where are the rest of the righteous men, right? All these other men in the Senate, right? The Bible said there is none righteous. Are they going to be the ones to stand up? to put a stop to respect for marriage. We've already heard senators, you know, certain number of Republican senators that have vowed to vote for this. So it's a slim, you know, possibility to get this thing stopped at a, you know, a legal level. Um, And I just thinking about this, like, how is this for irony? (laughs) You know, like our nation, our Supreme Court's just overturned Roe versus Wade and kind of brought in end to sort of the national legalization of child murder. And then our political establishment follows that up, you know, with the national endorsement of sexual immorality. Like, oh, you Mm -hmm. want to take abortion away from us? Well, we'll sign off on something else God hates. Um, Here's sexual immorality and homosexuality for everybody, right? But yeah, Mm -hmm. you go ahead, right? Make sure the next time, you know, there's a Trump politician that's not righteous enough. Um, keep in mind, it's his justices that put an end to abortion. But you're going to run out and vote for that Christian conservative Republican who's going to stand for your biblical values and that Republican senator or congressman that's just about to sell us down the river on respect for marriage. You know, but he'll be the one we put our hopes in, right? Such a sham. Yeah, the Republican Party's bordering on satanic, too. Um, we already know the Democrat party's there. So again, you're in between a rock and a hard place now, uh, brother, this vote goes sideways. I don't know what we're going to do with it. So, um, the next story here though, again, is in the vein of DIE overtaking our seminaries. And this one is actually quite practical to us in the Christian faith. Um, so do you want to read this headline? Mm-hmm. Fuller Theological Seminary names new president. Yeah, and then just that first paragraph. Fuller Theological Seminary, the largest Protestant interdenominational seminary in the country, named Black Church theologian and missions leader David Emmanuel Goatley is ne- its next president. Yep. So David Emanuel Goatley is going to be the next president of Fuller Theological Seminary. And um, this is actually fulfilling the outgoing president, Mark Laberton's wishes, um, who he said in here, if I can find it. Got it pulled up here. Um, I can't find it, but um, it's in this article, so you can go check it out. Mark Lamberton, the outgoing president, um, he announced uh, during his departure last year that he hoped his replacement would be a woman or person of color. That was his... One wish as he was departing, please hire a woman 
or a person of color. Wow, that's what's important. Yeah, for a theological seminary, right? (laughs) And the beauty of DIE that we're seeing is that they don't even really have to do that much anymore. Um, Like these, they've kind of implanted this idea and it's gotten its roots in so deep now that like these guilty white folks will just do their bidding. You know, Mark Lambertons of the world will just do, like we don't even know that there's pressure on Fuller in a real sense to go out and make this claim. But instead, they're just going to go ahead and get ahead of it here and just go, man, eh, eh, you know, I'd, I'd really like to just get a black guy or a woman in here instead of the best man of God to lead this seminary into the future in these treacherous times that we're in. Yeah, just get a black guy or a woman. Find the best woman or black guy you can. These are going to be our articles for the next few months, I'm sure. Because like you said, that whatever you call it, where you see it everywhere, diversity, Well, and I think you're going to, because the problem is what you see here with Fuller. Like, it's not like this is yeshiva, where they're being taken to court and you're being kind of forced legally to do this this is a little different they're going ah i better get out in front of this here and just go ahead and get my affirmative action hire um and look you know fuller theological seminary it's been adrift for a while so this isn't necessarily new um but it is bizarre to see someone just come right out and say yeah we're just looking for a diversity hire you know and goatly seems to be the man for the job because he does say down in here um Where is it at? He says, there's a certain representation that is important. The journey of which I am, the journey of which I am part matters, Goatley told Christianity Today. I'm a black person in the United States, which means some of my story has to do with discrimination and segregation and slavery. And all of that helps to give insight to how I handle myself and how I seek to handle creation uh, yeah, and handle creation and engage with other people. Yeah, he said some odd things. Something that stood out to me was this term European-centric theology. Um, I don't know if you can find where it's at on the screen, but I was like, we kind of heard that before with one of the girls in that Christianity Today had on, those girls in that panel yeah. reimagining biblical womanhood, but that was kind of where they were going with it too. Like, um, like different ethnic groups interpret the Bible different from one another is and this right here. I was like, kind of saying the same thing. And I was like, the Holy spirit is our teacher. Why would the Holy spirit like teach each ethnic group, something different about God's word. And I just thought if you actually believe in the Holy spirit, then you don't believe in racial interpretations of scripture. So right. and that's even what they talked about in that Twitter video that we've shown on two of our previous episodes where they talked about how important it was to get diversity into the seminaries. That's kind of what was our jumping off point here. And she makes the claim in there that, you know, people don't even know non-white Christian theologians or non-European theologians. You know, like they don't even know any african-american christian theologians and they're making this point that somehow a european theologian is different than an african-american and like nikki said if they're both inspired by the holy spirit 
then what's the difference? Because the goal isn't to understand a European-centric theology or an African-American-centric theology. The goal is to understand what did the apostles say? What did they tell us? So if a white European can tell us that, great. If a black African can tell us that, great. Who cares? Right. I mean, there's European that have different takes on theology. We don't all have the same. We're so divided. Just in one ethnic group, we're so divided. Every ethnic group has the same um, false teachings going on in it. It has nothing to do with your interpretation based on your skin color or where you're from. Like, I can't believe this is even that this term is even being thrown out there, that the idea is even getting put in people's heads. Like who, who's receiving this? Who are the people who are going to be like, yeah, they do interpret differently. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like this what does is John so... three sixteen mean if you're from yeah. Niger? It probably means what it means if you're from Spain. I mean, I don't. I know. It's John 3.16. No, no, no. I need a different worldview. I need to understand it from slavery's like point of view. Like the gospel is the same. Like it's the same message for everybody. Like Christ died for all nations, right? We're all saved the same way. You can't interpret the gospel differently. And like this is the most racist belief that I have ever heard of. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's bizarre, but well, it is very the, racist. Certainly it is. And, you know, that's the, the tricky notion there about the DIE, right? Is that while they're telling everybody they're racist, right? It's actually, in fact, them who are racist. They're the ones. Right? Because they're all about. They're the ones that are like, we need the, you know, the Pacific Islander view of Christianity. You're like, what is the Pacific Island? We need the biblical idea of Christianity, you know? So, very bizarre, right? Um, but that's what Fuller wants, right? And what's interesting is he says in here, you know, that uh, the journey of which I am a part matters. He says, I'm a black person, which means my story has some, uh, has to do with discrimination, segregation, and slavery. And I just, I wonder what part of Dr. Goatley's journey has to do with discrimination, segregation, and slavery. Like, I wonder, because it tells in here that prior to this job, he was serving at Duke's Divinity School. Doesn't that sound like oppression to you? Everybody wants to be a victim. That was just like Frederick Douglass when he was working at Duke's Divinity School. So this guy somehow is attaching himself to slavery and segregation while working at Duke's Divinity School and being hired as Fuller Theological Seminary's president. And somehow in his mind, he goes, yeah, you know, my journey through slavery has something to do with this. Wow. Are you insane? Like, that's so. something an insane person would say. Um, but, you know, again, keep in mind. So again, and this is something that you could be lulled into thinking going, ah, well, that's Fuller. They've always been a bit liberal, right? Um, and Fuller certainly is well on their way to becoming Union Theological Seminary. Because um, it even makes note in the article in here, somewhere you can find it. I think it's down near, somewhere near the bottom. But it says in there, the seminary has always described itself as evangelical, though it doesn't fit into the neat evangelical categories. It has allowed an LGBT student group on campus 
but also successfully defended in court its code of conduct for students, which includes traditional Christian sex ethic, which, how does that make sense? But also maybe a good insight for yeshiva, because they let in a LGBTQ student group, and now here they are getting diversity hires for president. So, you know, I don't know, maybe pretty soon they yeshiva can hire a sworn Nazi to be their uh, president there, and that'll be a diversity hire. I mean, Lord forbid. But uh, he does go on in here to say, or the article says about Dr. Goatley, he's going to lead ethnically diverse leaders in an ethnically diverse world. Boy, what is greater than that? Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy named Lynn said, he says, I was one of the first non-white presidents of a large national evangelical organization. And then he makes note of this guy named Jim, Jimmy Mulatto. And I share that. I understand the challenges Dr. Goatley will face. People will want him to speak to particular issues in the black church because he's a black leader or assume that he's going to lead in a direction uh, that's this or that because of his ethnic background. He says, we chose him because he's an outstanding candidate. Really? Well, that's not why they chose them. <laughs> According to Mark Labmerton, um, they chose him, at least in part, because he's black. So he may be an outstanding candidate, but he's, he's black. And that was one of their requirements, it seems to be. So, you know, hmm. again, Fuller may be sort of fo- foreshadowing, you know, what Yeshiva can expect in the few years. Once the DIE mob really gets their claws sort of sunk in there. Because um, pretty soon, you know, you won't even have to win a court case if you're the satanic left. The seminary just give it over to you. You know, they'll just go, yeah, you know what? Let's just go ahead and get out in front of this diversity and let's just hire a transvestite to be our president because that'll keep, you know, the activists off our back. I don't know why. We'll sell out God so we don't have to deal with activists. They don't have any lines drawn. Why would we expect that not to happen? And, you know, another thing that's bad about this is just for Dr. Goatley. I think, because he very well could be the most qualified man on the planet for this job or any other. And I would imagine he's incredibly intelligent. I don't know his faith, so I can't say anything about it. Worked for Duke Divinity School. But when you say, we want to hire a black guy, and then you go out and you hire Dr. Goatley, or yeah, Goatley, like really the thought that you're left with is, oh, this is like the token black guy they hired. Like you are the most qualified, you know, black guy that we could find. You were more qualified than the women we looked at. Um, So, hey, you got the job, right? And maybe even worse than that, you could say like you were the black guy that was the most qualified black guy that was willing to take the token position. If you knew that it was the token position, maybe there were more qualified black men that were like, Nah, you ain't using me that way. Like, I've got Mm. dignity, self-respect. Like, that's true. If you want me for that job, it's because I'm the right guy for the job. That's a good point. Um, Or maybe they knew they were the right God or right guy, but because this outgoing president just goes, "Eh, I want a black guy. And they're like, nah, nope, not doing that to myself. Got too much pride. So that could be the worst case. I hope it's not. And again, I don't know Dr. Goatley, just speculating here. But again, once you attach it, we're looking for this guy 
and then you find him, um, you know, I don't know. It just, it makes, makes you second guess. And that's a shame for us, for the kids going to Fuller to always have that thought in the back of your mind. Like, Oh, well you just the diversity hire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a shame. Cause I'm assuming he's super well qualified. Like I said, um, not at all though that I, you know, he's not who I would pick just from the little bit that I read from this article. He doesn't sound like a guy that I would want, um, running my seminary. Just because, again, we read that short article, and it seems like the victim card just sort of rolls yeah. off his tongue pretty easily yeah, there. Yeah, they have to bring that up, it's just like... Yeah. Like, when you're working at Duke Divinity School, and you're being hired as a president, and you're like, yeah, you know, back in slavery, and you're like, all right, okay, sure. That's what you're going to go to. Somehow... If he even brings it up, you know that's just scratching the surface. Yeah, somehow of- you climbed through the shackles of slavery to get to Duke and Fuller Theological Seminary. But so again, just sounds immediately like the wrong guy to me. Um, Instead of what I would assume is taking the high road, giving the honor to God, all those sorts of things. But, you know, yeah, yeah, I would have recommended you steer clear of Fuller Seminary before this. Uh, I will double down on that advice now. Go and find a different seminary. If you're interested in seminary, um, don't go to Yeshiva. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't go to Fuller. Uh, both are bad spots, in my opinion. So do you have any last thoughts on the news stories that we talked about before we roll into our Bible topic here? No, we're almost getting into it before an hour's up. And I think that's some kind of record. It is. <laughs> it's so funny. I've been going back through our old episodes and they were like 19 minutes. And then like the long ones were like 40. And you're like, how did we ever do 40 minutes? And now when I put one together, I'm like, I don't know how we squeeze it in less than two hours, but let's give it a whirl. Now so, that we got these nice, comfy chairs. Yeah, somebody called our chairs dirty. They are not <laughs> dirty. They are clean. The problem is they're like gold on gold. So the light gold looks dirty compared to the dark gold. Yeah. But they're not I dirty. I can see how, how it might look. How dare you? <laughs> we are clean people. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Like, are they dirty? Is there a stain? <laughs> Come on. No, it was pretty funny. Yeah, somebody made a comment. They're like, you should clean your chairs. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, they said put slip covers on. Yeah, put slip covers on. We probably should do that for our couches, honestly. I did ask them what color. So if you guys are watching this, what color slip covers should we throw on our chairs? I can't promise Does we will. Does our background matter that much? I know my shirt is really clashing. I had it on the chair. That's probably, someone's going to bring that up. And listen, we've told you guys, we live in a dollhouse. There's only so much we can do in this space. And we've about maxed it out. So by the grace of God, soon, if the Air Force thing keeps chugging along, we'll be in a different space soon. And then sky's the limit. Who knows? We'll be in a professional, look like Joe Rogan studio in here. Just a little cleaner, cleaner in his studio. Cleaner. So anywho. Uh, on to our Bible topic for the week. Uh, like I said, we're on part two of our sort of look at our road to salvation. And again, you can go to our website, religionlesschristianitypodcast.com, and it has all these points listed on a road to salvation tab and the assurance of salvation. Um, you can go and check those out too. So if you're new to the faith or if you're looking to share the gospel or if somebody's having questions about how do I know I'm saved and those sorts of things, that's just a good quick way to get, you know, some scriptural references. Um, we have them up there. Go check those out. 
but again, this is going to be point two. And last week we looked at point one, right? Which is really where we all need to start that you're a sinner in need of a savior. That's mm. where the gospel message needs to start. So point two today is going to be that the result of sin is death, but God gave us a way out. And that comes from Romans chapter six, verse 23, which reads behind it. It's on the wall behind us if you're watching the video, but for all you blessed podcasting folks, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we as sinners deserve death, but God provided us a way out, a way to eternal life. And I'm reminded again, I keep talking about Pilgrim's Progress in this quote, but I love it so much. And it's that quote where he says, you know, I'm looking to get rid of this burden on my back. And the worldly wise man says, how did you come by this burden at first? He says, by reading this book in my hand. And again, for us sharing the gospel, the person may not have the Bible in their hand to read. So we are exposing that burden to them that they may even be unaware is on their back. It's there, but they don't feel it. Right. And if you remember Pilgrim's Progress, he didn't realize he had the burden on his back until he read the book. And it tells you, oh, I'm a sinner. In God's eyes, I'm a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. And oh, man, I need to do something about that, right? How do I do something about that? And that's what we're getting ready to show them as we walk through this gospel. So you can't leave this part out, right? You can't leave out the part that they're a sinner. And what that sin gets you is eternal death and separation from God. Because ultimately, they have to know what they're being saved from. Yeah. This is the problem, again, that we talked about with the Joel Osteen sort of call to salvation, where, hey, you know, you can speak your best life now, overcome your battles, you know, be happy and healthy. You want Jesus? Just say a quick prayer, right? Like, none of that is the gospel. They need to know the burden that they're dealing with before mm-hmm. you can show them how to get rid of the burden. So Right, their burden with that Joel Osteen gospel is just the burdens of this life. They have nothing to do with the burden of can't make it to heaven on my own. Right, and that's, that's what results in, like we talked about last week, being Britney Spears, where you go, well, God isn't real because I have all these troubles in my life, so there can't be a God. Well, yeah, that God isn't real. So yeah, if that's the God that she believed in, then... Yeah, he's proven himself not real, but our God saves us from our sin and calls us to die to the flesh. Totally opposite. (laughs) Right. But if you don't get presented that gospel, if all you know is the Joel Osteen, um, you know, prosperity type gospel, then yeah, when life goes sideways and it's not all roses and happiness and prosperity, then there's no God then. So again, we got to make sure we're presenting the proper gospel And this is the hard part, right? Because nobody wants to hear this because everyone thinks they're good. Everyone thinks they're doing the right thing, but you have to expose to them. No, man, um, nothing you do is good in God's sight, right? Go to Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So again, you aren't good enough. You can't earn your way to heaven. I might think you're a nice person. That ain't good enough, right? You can't store up enough goodwill from God to get yourself into heaven. And do you want to read this, honey? Isaiah 
64, verse 6. Um, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Yeah, so again, this is what we're exposing them to here from point one and two. You're a sinner. Your good works that you think you're doing for, the, you know, for humanity, whatever it yeah. happens to be, they're filthy rags in the sight of an all-holy and perfect God. That's what they need to come to realize. Um, because mm-hmm. even when we think, you know, what we're doing is holy and righteous to God, like Nikki said, it's like filthy rags. And um, Romans 3, verse 10, Paul actually quotes David from Psalms 14, verse 2 and 3, where David writes, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So again, and this is a good place to build sort of um, a relationship, right? Because we're not telling them you aren't good enough. We're going, (laughs) neither of us are. We're both hosed, right? We've both done a lifetime's worth of sin. You know, um, we're both sitting here in the same boat. The only difference is, right? I think the line is just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. Mm-hmm. I just found the bread before you. <laughs> I'm still a beggar, right? Let me just show you where the bread yeah. is. And if you just let that other beggar um, just stay where he's at, he's going to starve to death. Yeah. You got to tell him, you're starving. You're going to die. Let me show you. Yeah, that's a yeah, good Yeah, so it's a good place there. to build up your relationship. I mean, you should already mm-hmm. have a relationship, but, you know, if you're just street, you know, sharing the gospel on the street, whatever— this is a good place to, because a lot of times, you know, people think Christians are hypocritical or they think themselves high and mighty and I'm better than you. No, this is a chance to get down on their level and be like, hey, man, I was on the pathway to hell and I, I still go there apart from Christ. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just telling you where you are. And again, this isn't me telling you. This is scripture telling you. That's right. Um, yeah. And so that's why can't. it's important to use scripture when you're doing this. Don't just wing it and go, ah, now nah, we're all sort of guilty of sin. And no, Romans 6.23, you are a sinner in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. But God in his goodness has provided you the way out. So, and again, too, because that does away with the whole works-based, um, like Ephesians 2 says, right? You can't work to it. God gave you the gift. So even in the essence of you trying to mm-hmm. work in lieu of God's gift isn't good enough because you're basically telling God, yeah, no thanks. Right. I got this on my own. Right. Sure. You had to come and die for me. I don't really want that. It's not an option. It's not like this way, or you can just humble yourself, but it's not an humility route. is the way because in God and his wisdom is prepared a way for the humble. It really is for the humble. A prideful person would rather God provides salvation by works. In this way, they could they could check off God's list and and hope that God grades on a scale. He would think that he could argue with God and judge God by his way of grading. Because with a grade, there's a fine line of pass and fail. But since God doesn't grade on a scale and all of our good efforts are failing. We we can't boast. Not we can't even boast a little bit. 
And if we try to add any of our best works to the work of Christ, we are thinking we could make that 100%, 110% and be ahead of those who rely only on Christ for salvation. So no, you're actually taking glory from Christ. I mean, not really. You can't take his glory, but you know, you're tempting to. You can't contribute. Jesus doesn't need our help in his saving us. And prideful people don't like to be given anything for free. I mean, we've met people, you try to like bless them or help them out. No, 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 no. And you know, you think about it, like that's, that's pride. You know, they have to earn their own way for everything. And this way they get all the glory for every good thing in their life. And we may even think we can boast before others, but this is about, this is about boasting before God. What God has done in the gospel is take away the boasting. Um, because under the law, there could be, there could be boasting, but every single person is guilty of breaking the law of God. So it's a matter of confessing that you are a lawbreaker and we are all guilty before God. And thankfully he's merciful. He's merciful in saving any of us at all. And the depth of his love in providing atonement for our sins, that reveals his goodness. So I, I would just conclude that, um, that the one who would rather be justified by the law is actually a person who who hates God, who hates his goodness. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as difficult. You know, both of these parts of this step are almost equally difficult, part one and part two. You know, it's difficult to highlight to people that they're sinners because they've been taught so long, like you've talked about in your testimony before. I'm a good person. People have been telling me I'm good my whole life. So it's hard to convince people, no, you're a sinner. Mm. But it's mm-hmm. equally as difficult to convince people that, no, your salvation is a free gift. You can't even earn it if you want to. And you have to convince people fact, they're sinners and that can be offensive to them. Yeah. Well, it's offensive to them. But then again, the free gift goes against their own prideful, you know, uh, personality and, and things like that. So it's just as difficult to say, no, you can't do any of this on your own. It's right. simply accepting what God has done for you. That's, that can be just as tricky. You know, it shouldn't yeah. be, but it is. And a lot of people don't like that aspect. They would much rather work their own way. And that's why every, basically every other false religion on the planet is a works-based religion mm-hmm. because they're all working and earning their own way to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's not, it's for, for those of us who have accepted Christ and love him, that's essentially the gospel in a nutshell, the free gift of salvation. But for those that are yet to come to Christ or struggling, that's a hurdle to get over that you can't do anything and you've got to accept that. Um, and you you know, have to, because again, at the end of the day, a works-based religion steals glory from God. Mm-hmm. You're like, Lord, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I don't want it. I'm going to do it myself. Because then like Paul said, I'm just going to go ahead and boast in my own works. And he had and something to work. boast about. Yeah. Well, the apostles certainly did compared to us, you know, so again, point one, you know, you're a sinner. Point two, now here today, um, the wages of that sin is death, but God gave us the free gift of salvation and that's eternal life. So 
Again, both of these points have to be highlighted. And really, you know, this is the order, right? It's called Romans Road. And it's really the most simple way of presenting the gospel in a biblical way. There's other ways, of course, but you kind of have to walk down this step or down the road in this order, letting mm-hmm. people know. Um, so again, don't think that getting them to understand that they're sinners is the hard part. It can be just as hard to get them to understand that the only way to get eternal life is to completely die to your pride and accept a free gift. Because like mm-hmm. Nikki said, most people are prone to be like, eh, nah, nah, I don't want, don't give me anything. Don't give me money. Don't get, I don't need anything. Right. I'm self-sufficient. Right. Especially as in America, we love to be yeah. self-sufficient. But and I'm really not even a self-sufficient person. <laughs> no. Um, so very important points, hard, but it must be told, right? They've got to come to accept this gospel message. Because if you're only going to accept the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel message, you're not really accepting the gospel because you haven't been told what you need to accept. You haven't been told what Jesus needs to be Lord over. Because as we've said before, you don't get Jesus the Savior without Jesus the Lord. Um, it's a it's a combo deal, right? You only get <laughs> one if you get both. Yes. So uh, that's very important. So do you have any last thoughts here before we roll into our sermon recommendation on this topic? I mean, I, yeah, I'll say we have a lot more to go. I'll bring, I'll bring my thoughts up next time. Yeah. We only got 13 more topics on salvation to touch on. Yeah. So um, this wasn't a terribly long Bible topic, but very important, right? We don't want to soft sell the gospel. We don't need to soft sell the gospel. We don't have to package it in a way that's more appetizing to people. We just need to deliver it in the manner that God has given us, deliver it, and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Uh, We're not Mm. better at saving souls than the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'll bring up one thing. That Pilgrim's Progress book we got for the kids, Alistair Begg, through his ministry. Um, So it's a children's version of Pilgrim's Progress, um, like part two. And it mentions in there, the bitter comes before the sweet. So you've got to acknowledge your sin before, you know salvation it's always the bitter before the sweet so i thought yeah that kind of goes with this it just popped in my head so old john bunyan had a way with words all right so for our (laughs) sermon recommendation here today and again we've asked you guys plenty please consider sending us sermon recommendations or at least pastors that you like to listen to podcasts that you like to listen to because we're in our own little theological bubble we listen to who we listen to And because Mm -hmm. our entire life is governed by algorithms, YouTube only gives us what we listen to. So we don't know how to go outside of that. Um, So unless you send us stuff, we're just going to be keep, you know, recommending the same things to you guys. Fortunately, we listen to good stuff. So our sermon recommendation today here is going to be uh, Vody Bakum. We've talked about him before in the past. This is a sermon he delivered on Romans 6 which we are discussing here today. Oh, that goes well with our um, news today. He is a black a theologian. Well, and if you guys remember, long, long ago, we talked about the two most important voices to listen to today. And one was Vody Bakum. And um, we still recommend that he speaks uh, very well on, you know, issues pertinent to, you know, culture and life today, not just strictly theological topics. Um, the other one was Jason Whitlock, but so Vody Bakum, you know, we like him and him talking on Romans six is 
pretty good stuff. So go give that a listen, but also consider sending us what you're listening because we want to know and we want to listen to it because I'm sure it's good stuff. So that is all we got for today. We'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals and then coming back next week, hopefully, unless the world falls apart with part three of our road to salvation. All right, God bless.